Hello and welcome back to the Living Well podcast by Jefferson Health. I'm Jessica Lopez. And I'm Carly Williams. In this episode, Dr. John Zerlo, Division Chief of Infectious Diseases at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital and Clinical Advisor for Pandemic Preparedness for the Jefferson Enterprise, returns once again to the podcast. He offers the latest on the uptick in COVID cases, as well as what we need to know about the updated boosters and reminds us on what to do if you or a loved one tests positive. Dr. Zerlo also discusses long COVID, whether or not we should reconsider masking, and reminds us that while COVID is still a part of our lives, how much progress we've made in terms of immunity against it. Dr. Zerlo, what are you currently seeing right now in the stage of COVID-19? Can you speak to the uptick in cases? And what about hospitalizations? You can see from the from the lay literature, from newspaper accounts, magazines, and so forth, that we have seen an uptick in, in numbers of COVID cases. In terms of hospitalizations, we have seen that also nationwide. I can speak to Jefferson that we've seen an uptick probably beginning sometime in early August or late July that has really stabilized. It's been pretty steady now over the last month or so. It's kind of varying only a, a small bit. So we're up somewhat, but not in any dramatic way. Would it be correct to say that this has almost mirrored the uptick we saw last year around this time? Yeah, it, it, it has. And I think that's one of the challenges to COVID is that we usually think of COVID and viruses like COVID as winter viruses. And COVID has kind of uh, violated those rules. It doesn't uh, seem to follow a seasonal pattern in quite the same way, though we tend to see uh, larger numbers of cases uh, in, in the colder months. But we've certainly seen summer outbreaks, uh, late summer, early autumn outbreaks. So it's, it's, it's a little bit tricky that way. Can we attribute the rise in cases to the newer variants of COVID-19? Or are the boosters from last year no longer offering protection? Yeah, I'll give you the big picture. I guess we hoped that at the time that COVID first emerged and we had the first vaccines beginning in late 2020, that vaccination would provide long-term immunity. And in the reality, it has not, nor have the, the vaccines provided the kind of protection we hoped would truly prevent infection. Where the vaccines have really done well is in preventing people who get COVID from getting sick enough to require hospitalization and, and obviously bad outcomes, therefore. One of the reasons we certainly see more infections is the fact that, yeah, these variants are coming out, but clearly the immunity is not long-lasting, unfortunately. So I think it's a bit complicated that way, and we're, we're still trying to understand it. Interesting. Thank you for that explanation. The FDA authorized the updated COVID-19 booster vaccinations for 2023-2024 this month for everyone ages six months and older. What do people need to know? Well, this was a, a long discussion. I, I'm privy to all the notes from the discussion and ultimately the decision to make those recommendations. We have data on what the prior vaccines have done, the prior booster, for example, the booster year ago. We have quite a bit of data on that. We don't have a lot of data on this new, the, the new vaccines, but we know from the previous booster that there are data to, to strongly indicate that getting that booster reduced the chances of serious COVID, people getting, again, hospitalized and so forth and so on. So we have more limited data because obviously this is a vaccine that's new, but nonetheless, based on the, the immune parameters that we use, 
in some ways similar to what we do with flu vaccine. Each year we design a flu vaccine and we intend that it will help with the upcoming flu strains that have been identified. And we can look back a bit only within the last year and see what kind of strains were in the Southern hemisphere. Remember, uh, flu is a, is a cold weather virus. So we already have some information about the effectiveness in preventing the anticipated strains here uh, based on the efficacy in, in how it worked in the most recent uh, flu season. Really looking back then on the COVID booster that was done last year, and trying to match that with the current strains that we see, we think it will be effective in, once again, re reducing the chances of those bad complications. And are there any new side effects associated with this booster for folks to be aware of? None have been reported. And happily, with the original COVID vaccines, with the most recent boosters, including well, presumably this one, we have some uh, efficacy and adverse reaction data, and there, there doesn't seem to be any uh, more significant risks. In general, these vaccines have been well tolerated, and I don't anticipate that we'll see unexpected side effects from the new vaccine that was approved. Is there anyone who shouldn't get the booster besides those who are six months and younger? The FDA, through what's called the ACIP, has not selected any population that they think should not be vaccinated. That's correct. Okay. And this new booster was formulated specifically for the XBB 1.5 variant of Omicron, which was dominant when the FDA selected the strain in June. Health officials are now monitoring a new variant, BA 2.86, which has a higher number of mutations from previous strains. It seems like these variants just keep coming. Does this new booster provide adequate protection against most of them? Unfortunately, we don't have real life data to really look at populations, but we have immunologic markers to suggest that, in fact, they will be effective in, in both the, the, the big major strain that's circulating, that's so-called ERIS, E-G-5, E-R-I-S, and this newer one, the, the one that you mentioned, BA 2.86, it's been called Parola. All of these are Omicron, and they're based on a particular variant to which the vaccine is designed to treat. And so, uh, at least based on the immune parameters to which the vaccine is designed, it should be active against these variants. Remember this most recent strain, the one people are starting to worry about, the Parola strain. We've seen very, very little of that here in the United States and across the world the predominant strains should be much more responsive to the vaccine that's coming out. Reminder for folks who are testing positive for COVID, what should they be doing to get well again? Is Paxlovid something that anyone can request from their primary care provider? For many people, COVID will be, in fact, for most people, it will be an upper respiratory infection without any serious consequences. The CDC estimates that 97% of Americans have now immunity to COVID based on either prior infection, vaccination, or both. That's a very different place to be compared with, say, March of 2020, when there was virtually zero pre-existing immunity. So for otherwise healthy, especially young individuals who have symptoms to suggest COVID, should they get tested uh, and they turn out they have COVID, you know, for the most part, no treatment is required. For people who are older, and particularly those with uh, medical problems, the more the worse in, in that sense. So, for example, you have 
uh, you're older, 60, 65, and you have heart disease and lung disease and maybe kidney disease and maybe you're immunosuppressed, each of those adds to the potential for bad outcomes. And in, it, it is those people, the, the, the older they are and the more medical problems they have, the more apt they should uh, consider contacting their physician and getting treated. Any physician can prescribe it. This should be available and uh, uh, and should be prescribable by primary care physicians or in, in the case of individuals who are followed by specialty uh, clinics, transplant clinics, lung disease clinics, and so forth. Anybody can prescribe the, uh, the prescription for Paxlovid. Can you speak to the specific risks or dangers associated with multiple COVID infections? Does it matter the time between infections, whether it's been months or years? I'm not sure if I can answer that question, to be honest with you. I think, again, prior infection, especially having had vaccination, reduces the risk for serious outcomes. So I don't think we have a, a, a really a better answer than that, quite frankly. A cohort study published in JAMA, which we will include in the show notes for anyone who's interested in checking out, found that Paxlovid reduces risk of post-COVID-19 conditions. Any insights on reducing risk of long COVID? Are different variants showing different post-COVID conditions? Or is this something that's hard to tell right now? I think we have some data to suggest that vaccination will reduce the chances of long COVID. I don't know that long COVID has been associated with any particular variant one of the challenges is that for the most part, the vast majority of people who get diagnosed with COVID, we don't know what variant they have. We only select a very small group of people and select places to try and get an overall view of what the circulating variants are. So it would be very difficult, I think, to make that association. And do you have any predictions for what we can expect to know a year from now, two years from now, or three years from now? Like, what are some of the lingering questions that people have now that you think we may have answers to later on regarding long COVID? It's a good question. It's not surprising in many ways that we're seeing a, a very different disease than what we saw back in the spring of 2020. At one time in, in throughout the country, including our hospital system, if you were hospitalized with COVID, your chances of dying in the hospital with COVID was over 20%. And if you went to the intensive care unit, it was probably closer to 40%. It, it was very different. And fairly quickly, we did a lot of things, masking, social distancing. We saw a decrease in the number of cases, but also the mortality seemed to drop as well. And so fast forward now, several years later, where we have again, broad immunity in the population, it's very difficult to determine whether the different kind of COVID that we're seeing now is because of the broad immunity or, as people have suggested, beginning with Omicron, that the, the Omicron version, which really came out in late 21, causes less severe disease. I think it's very difficult to tease away those couple of different factors, frankly. Masking continues to be something that some people are still subscribing to and others are not remasking, at least for right now. Well, I think all health systems, including our own, are wondering about whether to reintroduce masking and social distancing, certainly in our hospitals. And I would have to believe that local health departments are following numbers and trying to make decisions about further recommendations for populations. I think given where we are 
now with the numbers of cases, the kinds of cases we're seeing, the levels of hospitalization, I think it would be very difficult to guide and advise that we bring back social distancing and masking and, and so forth and so on uh, in, in a broad way. I would anticipate that as we move forward, if we see outbreaks in certain areas of our health system, a different a floor, perhaps a particular unit, we do have the opportunity and we take advantage of that opportunity to bring back masking for a small unit like that for a, a short amount of time that it takes for this outbreak to come under control. Those tools have to be available to us, but I don't anticipate broad remasking. I just don't think COVID is going to rear up in the same way that it would require that level of trouble. With all that said, though, for individual patients, for individual people who may be older and have medical problems, they may want to consider for themselves, for their own safety, that they consider masking in particularly closed, very crowded environments with poor ventilation. Similarly, for family members who live with individuals who are at risk for serious COVID, for the same reason, they should at least consider that possibility. And, and you probably see throughout the city that we see people indoors and sometimes even outdoors wearing masks. And obviously, they've made particular or specific decisions for themselves or their family members that they're concerned about the possibility of COVID. And so I have a feeling we will see that going on for quite some time, actually. Be sure to check the show notes for additional resources, including the link to the Living Well blog, where we publish full episode transcripts. Upcoming episodes include an interview with cardiologist Dr. Darius Farzad and following breast surgeon Dr. Stefania Nolano as she gets a preventative mammogram screening. We're hoping to demystify the experience and answer top questions about mammograms. So if you have any, send us an email at livingwell at jefferson.edu or slide into our DMs on social. And as always, if you enjoy our podcast, we truly appreciate a rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Fun fact, the full podcast episodes are also available on our YouTube channel at Jefferson Health. Production support for today's episode provided by Brittany Rafalak and Barbara Henderson. We're your host, Jess Lopez and Carly Williams. Be well.